Hey folks, welcome to Pivot Point. My name is Joseph DiBiase and this is my podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back. Welcome back to Pivot Point. Thank you for tuning in. Today's guest on the show is Albert Hughes and it's part two of our conversation. Now, if you remember last week, it ended right when Albert said he knew it was his first job. Now, what happens after that? Well, you're going to hear it today, and it's, it's an important pivot point. And I'm going to leave it at that. I'll let Albert tell you all about it. So, how was your Thanksgiving? Was it good? We had a wonderful time. We did some Zooming with family, and we had some wine, and the stuffed artichokes were amazing. And I almost bought some more today at the farmer's market, but I didn't because, well, quite frankly, the way I stuff them, they're not exactly the most healthiest thing in the world. So I had my fill. I'll wait till next year. Um, So (laughs) the other thing was, do you remember how I said I text my mom? And I asked about, you know, how long do you cook turkey and all that stuff? And my numbers, of course, were (laughs) like an hour a pound, which is like, no. So we had this recipe and, you know, we didn't stuff the bird, but we did put this wonderful herb dressing under the skin. And part of that recipe was to check the bird halfway through the cooking process to baste it with this butter-herb mixture that we had previously heated up. So I went in and checked the turkey, and I'm like, oh, this looks like it's already done. So I stuck a thermometer in there, and what do you know? 180 degrees. (laughs) The turkey's done. It was a little dry. Not bad, though, but it could have been worse. It could have been worse, and it could have been the Griswold family Christmas turkey. I was heading there. I mean, if I left it in for another hour and a half like I was supposed to, I mean, this thing cooked in an hour and a half. So, you know, it shouldn't have been done for almost three hours. It was a almost a 10-pound turkey, and if it's a pound in an hour, no, sorry, if it's a, see, that's how I get messed up. If it's four pounds to an hour because it was unstuffed, so like a pound per 15 minutes. So at least two hours, two and a half, right? So it was good. But you know what was the best thing about Thanksgiving? We had a couple of friends that we knew who were on their own. We reached out to them, and we made up a plate for each of them, and we timed it so that they could come by and pick it up on the porch. I got to tell you, that made us so very happy to be able to share. It was great. It, it, It really completed the Thanksgiving day. It was really wonderful. So one last thing I want to talk about. Do you remember last week I mentioned that I was on a project and I can't really talk about it because, um, you know, NDAs and all that stuff. And that conversation led to the creative mindset, which Albert and I will talk about later in the podcast. The reason why I'm bringing it up today is because I'm in the middle of writing some music for it now. I've been asked to write music and so I'm doing it. And here's the thing. In typical situations, you usually write a couple of cues. And then you, you know, you either get the job or you don't get the job. Well, in this case, one cue, no problem, all good. This other cue has notes. So here's my question for you. What do you do when you get notes on a cue when you're not being hired as the composer yet? Do you say, hey, hire me and we'll go through the process of working out this cue? Because that's what that does, right? That's what it is. When you start writing, you know, you start doing revisions and you work together and you 
you get to the final product. But in this situation, they're asking for revisions before I'm even hired. So what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm doing the revisions. It is not about my ego, and it's not about my status. It's really about collaborating and working with people. The process of working and writing and fine-tuning, it's all worth the effort. I wanted to bring it up so that you realize that what is quote-unquote typical isn't always applicable. And that every circumstance that you're in, take it for what it is. For me, these people are really good people. Being able to write music for them is a wonderful opportunity. So I'll keep you up to date. I'll let you know how it's progressing, and we'll, we'll see where it all goes. The adventure continues. All right. Albert Hughes, part two. Buckle up, everybody. This is a good ride. Take it away, Albert. And I hear the phone ring, and I hear him talk for like five minutes. I can hear the tone in his voice. I can't hear what he's saying. Yeah. Five minutes turns to seven minutes. I go, that's our first job. Oh, man. I go, I know for sure that is our first job. And that's how it happened. They called us to do um, a music video for $30,000 up in Oakland for a spinoff group of Digital Underground. Mm. And, and, And through doing that music video, we met Tupac while we were doing that. And Tupac hadn't even released his album yet. But we flew up to Oakland. Well, actually, we were staying in San Francisco. Uh huh. And, you know, they awarded us a job. And I had already had all this kind of training from film school about how to prep everything. Yeah. And we go meet the artist at a Waffle House. There's two guys, Money B and his DJ. I'm forgetting his name now. I think Dave. And there's a few other guys there. And Tupac is one of them. And he is hilarious. They're, they're playing the dozens, which I don't know if you know what that means. Like, uh-uh. t- in, in, a, in, a, in a neighborhood, playing the dozens, like, your mom is so ugly. You know? <laughs> okay. So they're playing the dozens, and there's this personality that's so large, and, and it's Tupac. Uh-huh. And he's just snapping on all these guys. And my, my brother's, like, fascinated by him. I'm fascinated by him. And we're, we're like, you guys got to invite him to the, the video. He needs to be in the video. And the first day of the video... You know, we're shooting, and then, you know, we, could, we couldn't even sleep the night before. Yeah, I bet. And we're walking to the set, and Tupac is in the car with a door hanging open. He's like, yo, come over here, you guys. Just listen to this track. And he's playing this track, and he's like, this is my new album. It's coming out on Interscope. I want you all to do the music video. And we're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, right. Yeah. We wrapped that music video out, sure enough. We ended up doing three of his first music videos. I didn't know that you guys did that. That's the kind of long and short of it right there. Wow. That's amazing. So when you started doing the music videos, how did you break into long form narrative? Well, that's interesting because, you know, when you get into music videos, it's like getting into anything. You're pigeonholed. Yeah. You know, and people think, oh, these guys want to be music video directors. And we kept telling people in our crew, you have to remember we're 18 too, you know, when we first start even in music videos. And we would show up to sets and Grips would throw his sandbags and go, move that over there, kid. Not knowing we were the director. Mm-hmm. So we were even young for the music video world. We, at the same time, had been developing what would become Menace, mm. you know, our, our first movie. Because when we were in high school at 15, we knew we wanted to make this gangster kind of hood movie about a black kid that doesn't make it out. Mm. And we wanted to do it because we were so frustrated with the news coverage of these kind of kids, but they never went into the reasons why they ended up the way they did. Mm-hmm. So as we're making music videos, 
my brother kind of spearheads the, the script process. And a friend of mine in high school, his brother was an aspiring screenwriter. His name is Tiger Williams, who was doing like programs at USC and UCLA. And my brother brought him in and we started talking concept. And as we're doing the music videos, we're developing this script, mm. right? With the hopes that we can, you know, do features. That was our whole thing. Yeah. We, we want to we want to make features. You know, we're not trying to be stuck in music videos. Meanwhile, we ended up doing like 25, 30 music videos from 18 to 19 years old. That's a lot. Yeah. And it was a, a good training ground, but it wasn't a good training ground for mm. for narrative, you know? Yeah, yeah. But Tamara came through again. She was like our Diana Ross of the Jackson 5, right? Yeah. She's like, you know, I did a, a few episodes of America Most Wanted, you know? It's a really good way to get in there and, and, you know, do recreations and learn, you know, drama. Yeah. So we do this episode of America's Most Wanted about this uh, Ethiopian woman that lives, you know, in that Ethiopian section of Robertson, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and she ends up, you know, killing her boyfriend, you know, on his way to work. And, you know, it was fascinating because we were going to homicide and looking at homicide photos and, you know, found the woman's real clothes. A woman fled the country or something. We don't know where she went, but we did all the recreations, right? And I had to go to DC to edit it because that's where John Walsh and American Most Wanted was centered, you know? Yeah, yeah. The avid systems were out there. and But it was horribly acted. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And it was, and this is, this is the reason why I'm telling this because this, this is crucial to whether we would make a, a feature or not, mm -hmm. right? Um, it was... We there was some of our early kind of stuff in there, meaning like stylistically we were trying some stuff, you know, but we still were wet, mm. you know. Yeah. So cut cut to we do that. We we kind of want to forget about it, and our friends and I have we all have these inside jokes. Like we we would say the lines from the show, mm -hmm. but it became so caricatured because. It was so bad that it became a joke amongst our, our friends. Yeah. You know, and we would take part. Yeah. It was that bad. Right. Yeah. So we're doing another video up in Oakland. It's a Tupac video. Mm -hmm. Brenda's got a baby, which was shot in black and white. It was one of his more popular videos. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. And yeah. there's any pregnancy and stuff like that. Yeah. I and, know that and the, the line producer for the video was a guy named Darren Scott. And he was also like, uh, you know, trying to break in as a producer on movies. And he found out about our script. Can I read it? Meanwhile, my brother also passed it to another line producer buddy of ours. And he said to both of them, you know, whoever gets it set up, you can be the producer. Mm. Now, before all that happened, we had another friend in Hollywood through Tamara Davis that was trying to get us an agent. And we met with this woman and we told her, you know, you can be our agent. And she's mm -hmm. like, are you guys sure? Are you sure? You know, you sure you don't want to check? No, no, you, you, you like the, the student films and everything. You're going to, you, you can be our agent, right? Uh, cut to New Line Red. Some people at New Line Red managed society. And the agent says, you have to go in and meet this one executive. His name is Kevin. I've read his last name now. And we don't want you talking about medicine to society. They want to talk to you about uh, The Last Dragon Part 2. Remember Barry Gordy's Last Dragon Part 1 came yeah. out in the 80s. Like, we were like, fuck, man. So we, we drove to New Line, which was on Robertson at the time, and my brother's like, fuck that. There's no way in hell we're doing Last Dragon Part 2. We're going to talk about, we're gonna talk about <laughs> menace. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's the Detroit so, coming out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we went in, and sure enough, we were, we were talking about menace. We did not know that uh, a woman from the New York offices at uh, a high up executive had read it and loved it, mm. which which kind of threatened the, the West Coast executive. And then it got put on Weekend Read. What does that and mean? They all, you know, when the studio uh, is thinking about doing something, they they hand out the script to all their executives and say, "Read it this weekend." They'll come back in Monday morning and talk about whether they want to do it or not. Mm, okay. So uh, we were on weekend read, but Friday before it went on weekend read, Bob Shea called our agent or somebody and says, music videos are fantastic. The short films from whatever college are great. 
But we hear they did an episode of America Most Wanted. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Send that. We're like, we're like fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right. over. It's over before it even began. Oh, man. Found out about America's Most Wanted. And we're just sweating out the whole weekend. Mm-hmm. And, and then the word comes back from our producer who says, not only did he love the script, but he cried. And wow. they want to make they want to make the movie. And that's how the first movie happened. And that's how quickly, even though it seemed like back then, like I said, even though it seemed like a short period of time, yeah, you know, there, there are just things that, you know, people ask this question. I'm not able to, because there's greater details to that whole story, but I'm not, not able to give as much as I just gave you now. But, you know, when they say, uh, what is, uh, what's that whole thing about, um, where luck meets opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Quincy Jones talks about that. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it was a lot of luck, Mm -hmm. some talent, Mm -hmm. some of who, you know, the opportunity kind of thing. Right. It it was all the stars were kind of aligned for, for this to happen. Yeah. You know, yeah. The freak, the freak show of it all too. Mm -hmm. these young guys who are twins who are black Mm. or perceived to be black. Right with this, you know, kind of this perceived to be very advanced um, kind of film techniques at the time because we had been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. It, you know, wasn't, I wouldn't say that we were advanced, you know, but others thought we were, we were ready for prime time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's debatable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I hear you. Did all of this because it is pretty quick. Did it mess with your head at all? No, we were very grounded. You know, the, the thing that sometimes was a common mistake for even the press back then was they, they mistook a lot of our swagger or kind of chip on our, you know, the Detroit thing, yeah. the biracial thing. They, they mistook that for, for arrogance. Not to say we weren't arrogant mm. or, or couldn't be arrogant. We were never arrogant about the work. Mm-hmm. Never, mm-hmm. you know. We never talked about our stuff like, you know, you, you, you see other people in the business who, like, they'll just thump their chest about their stuff. Yeah. You know? We never felt that way about our work. Mm-hmm. What, what we did feel was the chip on our shoulder and, you know, why why are they there, but we're not there. Mm-hmm. And still, we're still young thinking, well, how come we haven't got our break yet? And it's like, <laughs> slow down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is coming faster than, than, than it's good. The, the, the head fuck part, no, I would say... It, it, I'll tell you about where it happened later, like shortly after the, the first movie. Um, it didn't mess with our head because we had each other. Yeah. And, and we would ground each other. Mm-hmm. And we, we would never refer to ourselves as artists. That was a no-no. Mm-hmm. And why is, why is that? To me, I'm uncomfortable. I, my brother can answer it differently because he refers to himself now, nowadays as that. And we're not so close anymore. And we don't have that checking mechanism in place anymore. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought if I was ever, and I never heard my mother refer to herself as that either mm. uh, until much later in her life, you know, and she didn't throw it around casually, right? Mm-hmm. I, I just felt like it, it's not up to me. I, I look at the, that word artist uh, as something rarefied, mm. whereas, the, you know, the real dictionary term for it is not that rare, rarefied. Right. It's just expressing yourself through some form of art, right? right? Yeah. To me, it was, it was it's, it's, it's a special word. Mm. And it's not to be bestowed on you by yourself. Mm-hmm. That, that's that's for others to decide, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And and also, I think it's um depending on who it is and how they use it, it it's presumptuous and pretentious to use it when mm-hmm. referring to yourself. You may might as well talk third person at that point, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Um, right. And I also think it, it it stagnates you in a way. It it makes you think you've arrived to a place. If you believe this word is something special, mm. and if you if you felt like you're 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 an artist, mm-hmm. you know, partially why do you, why bother? Yeah, it's like the gold There's, gold medal of labels, isn't it? Yeah, and and I've never and again that goes back to the whole arrogance. You know, the, there's a you know, yes, there was hubris. Yes, there was a chip on our shoulder. Yes, I mean, there was a lot of things we did when we were younger that I look back and go, we were fucking crazy yeah. for thinking that we can, you know, walk on a set and introduce ourselves to NWA before we even did a, a music video and, you know, have a lifelong friendship with Dr. Dre yeah. and, and Eazy-E before he died 
based on us just walking onto a music video set and plopping down right next to him and going, hey, we got these, this tape from our film school. Yeah, they're like, put it in. You know, and they, and they, <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> and, like, the, these are all the stories that are leading up to, like, even before, you know, we made our first music video. Mm-hmm. Tamara had already helped us. You know, I, I forgot the part of the story where we were working. We were signed to a music video company called Underdog Productions, and it was a black-owned music video company. We still hadn't made a music video. They just had had my community college films, mm-hmm. <laughs> film school films, and we're developing Menace now, right? And out comes Boys in the Hood, and we think to ourselves when we see the commercials, "Well, there goes our movie." Yeah, same kind of backdrop, seemingly the same kind of subject matter. But what most people didn't realize back then, and it doesn't happen anymore, is when you're doing the soundtrack for a, a movie, they give you the tapes to insert the footage into the music videos. Back then, MTV would allow, like, you know, you're selling the movie off the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. We're going to show scenes from the movie throughout the music video. And there was two three-quarter-inch tapes of Boys in the Hood before the movie had been released. And my brother and I stay after work, and we go into this little kind of closet room that has a, a three-quarter-inch tape and a TV screen and we put in Boys in the Hood and we sit there and we watch it and we're like oh shit this this ain't our movie this is a little this is a different story a bit yeah. softer yeah you know but let's not stop what we're doing let's keep going good that's great and so we're we were able to, to, to see that now while we're working at that company they're getting ready to do NWA's always into some music video in downtown LA with this, at the time they had a big director there and the producer of that video didn't like us at all, Mm. you know, and for us to show up to the set in downtown LA and it, and you can look at the video. Now I'm an extra in the video getting shot by easy E that's how far we took it that night. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, so we go there and the story, like I said earlier, we see NWA sitting next to it. It's, it's Dr. Dre, it's Easy e it's Yella, it's Rand sitting next to the, the, the video monitors. And we just plop down and start talking to them. They play the tape, they get our information. And for that whole summer, before we make a music video, we're hanging out with Easy e every single day. He's driving us around. We're seeing everything that's going on. And this is right around the time that it, you know Suge Knight came in to mm-hmm. Dre. Mm-hmm. We're seeing all this stuff, right? Mm. And he was a sweetheart, you know. Mm. We told them about this camera place up in, in the valley that has these French Beaulieu made, you know, Super 8 cameras. You know, that, that was the one thing I wanted in film school was this, like, really tricked out yeah. film camera. Yeah. And he said, let's go. Let's go buy a couple. So we drove up there, <laughs> and the guy that was working there was the same guy that was working there when I was in film school. And he has no idea he's negotiating with Easy e for two cameras. And we're seeing Easy e negotiate for two cameras for over an hour. And we're like, what the fuck's going on here? Right? Yeah, and yeah. he's teaching us lessons of the hustle, right? This guy, he won't come down off the price. Easy pulls out a wad of hundreds and puts it on the table. Me and Alan kept going outside and, you know, what the hell? Come back inside. They've negotiated the price of the cameras now. Now Easy wants a, a stack of the Super 8 film. You know, they come in boxes of 10. <laughs> And, you know, he wants them to throw those in for free. Uh-huh. And the guy's like, we can't do that. Those are, you know, 50 bucks a piece. He's like, no, I just bought five, $6,000 worth of cameras. You're going to throw that in for free. Anyways, we leave there. Me and my brother are shooting on these Super 8 cameras. Again, before we've done yeah. World one piece of film in the industry. And we, we kind of lose contact with Easy because we developed Menace and we're kind of going, you know, one direction. Yeah. And we actually offered him a role in the uh-huh, movie. Yeah. And he read the script and he came back the next day. He's like, ah, I got my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. And he missed it. Mm. He just missed what was going on with us. Although he didn't really, in hindsight, he saw something that was going on with us. Yeah. And he saw something. And my brother said much later, like he had this weird kind of uh, territorial thing about the people that were under him. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. He was seemingly without ego. He was a really cool. That's why he has the name easy. Right. Right. And years later, when Alan did Defiant Ones, he had to go through all these estates and he found the footage that we shot. Wow. And, and there's these really brief clips of us in Defiant Ones where I'm shooting, a, holding a Super 8 camera, and there was a mirror of my brother doing the same thing, right? And it's from Easy es estate. Because we always wondered what happened to those cameras? What happened to that film? Yeah, you know? yeah. And 
these are kind of like all the like little stories along the way of how we were intersecting with, you know, the music business at the time and, mm-hmm. and the, the movie business at the time and um, how important that opportunity meets luck. Yeah. Like what are the chances that we're going to be at a Waffle House and meet Tupac before he's famous? Yeah. And what are the chances that we're going to get signed to a production company that makes music videos and take the bold idea of just showing up to an NWA set? Mm-hmm. And, and meeting kind of our heroes in high school mm. and, you know, now knowing Dr. Dre for more than I don't know, 30 years now. Um, sometimes it is also like, you know, to me, like, you know, youth, like youth does things that it doesn't know it can't do. Yeah. You know, or there's a societal rules or etiquette rules or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it, it, had I known now what I know now, Going back to my first movie, you know, there's probably certain things I wouldn't have taken a chance on. Mm. You know, there's certain shots you wouldn't try to pull up or certain scenes you wouldn't try to pull up because you know the limitations now. You know, what do you think of that? Yeah, because it seems like fear enters in. Yeah, because now you're thinking externally. And it's the conversation I always have with my nephew about because I think he thinks too externally, Mm. too much of how is it going to look. You know, how are people going to perceive this or how, you know, and his brain will go into like this loop. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, you got to stop thinking like that. You got to start thinking internally, like, what is it you want? Yeah. And and then you can, you can throw in a dollop of external thoughts, you know, along the way, but don't let that be the driver. Mm. And I always feel like too, it's like, I remember we were, there's two, two people. It was Dick Donner. We finally met on the panel. And it was Tom Hanks after we won the MTV Movie Awards. Um, and they both said something to us that kind of shook us into that, that thing I was just talking about yeah. where, you know, you, you don't know, so you, you, just, you just do it when you're younger, right? So Dick Donner said to us on the panel, he goes, I want what you guys have. Like, I, I want to be back there. Mm. Like, don't ever lose that. And we we weren't put two and two. We didn't know yeah. what he yeah. really meant. Yeah. Right? yeah. Then we win the award, you know, on the MTV and backstage. Tom Hanks comes up to us and he grabs us and he kind of has this like this gaze. Uh huh. Like it's almost like it's like almost like a Scientology look. He's not Scientology, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that, yeah. that look, like look at me, right? Yeah, yeah. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't lose what you guys have. Whatever it is you guys have. Dude, you're giving me chills. <laughs> you, you don't lose it. And I'm like, okay, okay what the fuck is this? Yeah. You know? And, and I, I guess, I mean, what they're really trying to say is that after years of them being in the business, they get so far away from that kind of wide-eyed, youthful, you know, exuberance, energy that, you know, you're showing up. It's an, you, First of all, that's what happens in music, okay? Sure. You, you, you know the greatest like we're talking about pink floyd jimmy hendrix Janis mm-hmm. joplin you know uh dylan th- their kind of creative peak is you know probably in their late teens all the way through their 20s and right around 30s yeah, it be- yeah. well it becomes a machine right yeah it becomes this thing that you've got to go on tour and then you've got to play the same song what 50 times 60 times whatever that's just that year <laughs> <laughs> then you got to do it again the next year. So that edge, that creative spark of something new, it gets dulled, I think. And mm. I get, I mean, I see it because when you're just starting off, you're totally kind of like, like this butterfly in the cocoon trying to break out, trying to like, mm. what can I do? What can I try? And, and then, yeah, this is, it, this other thing kind of takes over. And wants you to to fit into another slot, but it's a higher exposed slot that you fit into. And that's actually where the external comes, because you're like, now you got more money invested in things. Yeah. Now you have marketing. Now you have test screenings. Yeah. You know, yeah. Now you have if this movie doesn't do well or that record doesn't do well, will you make another one? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so you start, I got a house to pay for now. I got a kid to pay for or think about now. And things start to change, yeah. you know? Yeah. But the, 
the counter to that is, and what, what I've always had, and you know this, I think it's like, it's always, it's my hobby in my off time, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, like I shoot in my off time and I edit in my off time. Yeah. Nobody ever sees it. Yeah. Some of my friends see it. Right. But it's not made for them. It's not made for an audience. It's made for me. Yeah. Right. And I'm able to like indulge myself in some bullshit um, that could be like five or 10 minutes long or 20 minutes long. And if I showed it to you, you'd be like, Oh man, I mean, you kept showing that one shot like one too many times. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Cause I'm able to do it. Cause I don't yeah. have to worry about like, like pleasing you. And that's something that I've always had that I've always been proud of. The one thing I've most been proud of is that, you know, in, in this business, cause you do it in your off time too, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, you have a home studio there mm-hmm. and you, you're definitely creating music in mm-hmm. your off time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not just showing up to work right. and just doing it at work, basically, right? right? And I, I assume the reason why you're doing that is be, first because you love it, yeah, right? And the second assumption is you want to always get better at something you love, mm-hmm. right? So I go, why would I want to waste my, not waste my time, why would I want to waste people's time on me learning Mm. in front of them, which is what part of our 20s was anyway. We weren't, mm-hmm. come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, making a movie at 20, that's that's just silly, okay? Yeah. yeah. And so you see us fall on our face here and there, and, you know, the second movie you see us falling on our face, and we're doing that real-time, whereas most others that make it into the business, they're fully formed adults mm-hmm. by the time they get to make their first movie. They're at least 30 years old as a man or a woman, you mm-hmm. know? And, and they've, they've gone through a full process of filmmaking in film school and maybe done some TV or, you know, mm-hmm. they, you know but I, I still think that, you know, the age, and I don't know, I, I got a question for you about music. Do you ever do this? Is this something you ever do with music is if, if you're experimenting, mm-hmm. right? Um, it, like a short, I'll, I'll compare it to a short, mm-hmm. right? Like if, if I do something, I have to make the short. It's almost like I have to make the sweater when all I'm interested in is a zipper. I oh, just yeah. want to practice the making the zipper, <laughs> yeah. but I have to make the sweater in order yeah. for the zipper to work. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. So, so I can show you the short, Joseph, right? And you're like, ah. right. Whatever. Like, yeah, I, I was just working on transitions, dude. That's all I was fucking working yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly. Yeah. There are, um, it's like you have to make the whole meal in order to see if, like if I do it musically, if this kind of working technique with the strings, voicing it in a certain way, does it work? Well, mm-hmm. by itself, it's hard to know. It's like you say, it's a zipper, yeah. right? Yeah. But you have to put all the other elements around it and work it because they actually all interface too. Yep. And so, you know, the voicings of the strings may only work a certain way when you couple it with woodwinds or you put some electronics in there and, you know, put some synth stuff happening and all of a sudden, yeah, that's the sound, but you've mm-hmm. got to make it, you know what I mean? But the melody may be for shit or it doesn't. Yeah, that's, or, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, it, or it doesn't yeah. say anything. Yeah, you know, the whole thing is just kind of, well, it just kind of sits there. Yeah, but it, to me, I'm like, but the tonal sound of it, that's, yeah. that's it. Cause you're learning a technique within that kind yeah. of body yeah. basically. Right. Yeah. You know, or you said it doesn't make sense, you know, yeah. like, yeah, it's not supposed to make sense because when you're experimenting, it's experimental. Yeah. Right. You know? <laughs> that's where we discover de- things. It's a demo of sorts basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know? And so I've had a lot of fun doing that. And I've also felt like, yeah, of course I'm not going to be my 20-year-old self. Of course I'm not yeah. going to be, right? Yeah. But how do you keep that same, I don't know, whatever it is, whatever it was. Yeah, it's that, it's, you know, it. I think it's that openness to the flow of creativity, to that, you know, that, oh, what about, oh, what about, and rather than shutting it down, you know, well, that's interesting. You bring that up. The the openness to the flow of creativity is what you said, right? Mm-hmm. Is because so much stuff can get in the way of that. Yeah. Right. And um, and I'm assuming music is more so like this than I would say editing. 
you know, because I call it going inside the K hole sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, time flies by. We talked about this other yeah. day ago, I think. Yeah. And and you're just you're riffing on your old your other riff. Yeah. And that riff is telling you where the where the, the next riff is coming from, right? And in the end, and this if you get into this creative kind of flow, it's actually making itself. You know, it's telling you what to do. Yes. You know. Yes. 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 And, and then, it, and if you ever get to the point of euphoria, you know, yeah. and creativity, and when you're at a euphoric state creatively, you almost feel like those people who talk about religion, like God. It's not, you know, you hear Michael Jackson say sometimes, like, "It's not me, it's God." You know, because you're like, "Where the fuck is this shit coming from?" Yeah. So it's just dropping through you and yes. coming through you and yes. coming through you, yeah. right? And and that's the greatest feeling. Is yes. that if you can if you can get there but the best way to get there was with it's with no noise like if you're stressed about finances yeah if you're stressed about your girlfriend about some studio hack coming at you it's, it's very difficult to get there and that's why doing it in your off time is a really healthy thing i think it's you know? a great practice mm-hmm. to know how you can get into that flow quicker how you can protect it how that, that, yeah, how, you know. No, you just said protect it because also how to control it. Yeah. Because sometimes it gets out of hand. You know, like yeah. you, you go off the deep end in, on some creative tangent and, you know, you're, you're damn near in a crazy house. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and how to, how to access it and like be able to turn it on and turn it off. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, like a superhero movie in a way. It's like, yeah. That old TV show, Greatest American Hero. He had the cape, he had the costume, but then they have the manual. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. it's a learn, it's a, it's a learn thing because I got to a place creatively a few years, right before Book of Eli, right before we met each other, where I had to put it together, put a look, book together. And I went in this hole mm. creatively that was so crazy mm-hmm. that I never felt. I felt the euphoric thing before, mm-hmm. you know. And how everything comes easy up and all, all the problems get fixed very easy. Yeah. It's like you're but riding this, some sort of wave, right? It's just yeah. It's like you just you just ride. It's almost it feels easy because it's just flowing. That, that's it. It's it feels easy. And I've been in those before. Yeah. Right? But I've never been in one like this where it lasted a few weeks. I was burning the candle at both ends. Ideas were coming so quick. So it was a manic, almost like a manic episode, yeah, right? Yeah. And and it, it got so bad. It got so bad that I had uh, post-it sticky notes next to the toilet, next to the shower, next to the kitchen, next to my bed, you know, and I was slowly unraveling because I couldn't keep up with, with the ideas that mm, were coming. Mm, right. Mm. And this is a scary thing. Cause I eventually got to a point where I was able to control it. But what had happened was it felt like, you know, again, the, the God analogy, it felt like God was shooting a machine gun of ideas at me mm. and I'm not a religious, I'm an atheist. So right. I'm just using a bad analogy. Yeah. Okay. And it was like, oh, you like that idea? You Here's some more, here's some more. He's like, oh, slow down, man. Slow down. I'm writing all this shit down. Slow down. And then one day you wake up after your three hours of sleep and God showed up with a Gatling gun. Oh, my God. Now he's like, you thought you could handle this. How about this? And I'm like, what What the fuck is this, right? So it got to the point where I had exhausted myself and I didn't realize I was burning the candle at both ends because I was on such a high. Mm-hmm. And I said, everything is coming so easy. I love this. This is like the best drug I've ever had. And I went to go play basketball with some friends out here. It was a hot summer day, which is the one thing you're not supposed to do when you're in an episode like this. Is <laughs> go exercise. Yeah. I remember one of them wanting to quit early because he was tired. I go, you fucking pussy. Mm-hmm. You know, why would you want to quit? Five minutes later, we're playing, and I feel a sense of death come over me. Like, Albert, if you don't stop, you're literally going to drop dead right now. You've done mm-hmm. something to yourself that that's a point of no return. So let's stop, guys. Blah, blah, blah. I, I walk home, and I'm, I'm sitting in the intersection, standing in the intersection. I have to cross the street to get to my apartment. And I look across the street, and I see my girlfriend standing there. And she's looking at me, and she has this look on her face I've never seen before. I'm like, why? why is she looking at me like that? <laughs> and then she runs up. She goes, what are you doing? So I'm waiting for traffic to clear. She goes, you've been staring at the same spot when the traffic is cleared three times already. And I go, oh. And she's like, takes me upstairs. She puts me in bed. She's like, get rid of these notes. Get rid of everything. Do not leave this bedroom. I have to go get my sister. Just stay here in this bedroom. Do not get out of bed. Don't go to that kitchen. Because kitchen's where I had all the shit up. Don't go to that kitchen. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, right? yeah. 
So I just grab this notebook next to my bed and I just write, get out of town, go to a retreat, no computer, no phones. Mm-hmm. Like I just knew something snapped, mm-hmm. right? Because I took it too far. And I woke up the next day, I read that note and all the E's were backwards. Wow. And I'm like, got out of the town, eventually went back to LA. We won the job. That was, I was prepping to, yeah. to sell the book for Book of Eli, right? And I go see two doctors. And they go, okay, well, this is quite common in business and the creative field. And sometimes even with students, you know, you were kind of in a creative manic episode. The, the question you have to ask yourself is, did all the stuff you write down make sense? And did you apply it to the work? I said, yeah, it all made sense. It all made it. it by the way, it all made it into the movie. Okay. What didn't make sense was that last note, you know? The, oh, and by the way, I did go to the kitchen after she said, don't go to the kitchen. Yeah, well, I figured you would. <laughs> that's, what, that's what caused the, 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 the note to myself was mm. I went to the kitchen and I got to the point where I was chasing my tail and nothing made sense anymore, right? Mm. So they told me, uh, okay, now you need to know um, that you shouldn't work out if you're feeling like that. Mm-hmm. And that you have to know how to control this. Basically, if you let it get out of hand, it can be kind of a, it's almost a bipolar episode, yeah. even though I'm not, bi- I'm not bipolar, but it's where creativity can, can take you if you don't, you know, if you don't control that, that feeling, that, that kind of euphoria that's coming your way. Do you think it's, it's really, is it creativity or is it exhaustion? Is it the body just can't handle it because you were burning the candle at both ends? Yeah. And you're just outpouring and outpouring and outpouring and your body just gets so wasted, not wasted, but exhausted that you, it's not being modulated. Yeah. And there's no yeah. rest in between That's exactly to go in and out of this flow. Well, well, it's like if you're, if you're in that flow and you feel like all oh, these great ideas are coming, Yeah, you don't want to leave. I know. I know. I, I know. And then, and then the excitement can keep you from sleeping properly, mm-hmm. right? So it's like you know, you're chasing this, your tail, you're chasing the dragon, yeah. you know, and you don't, you don't want to shut off. But now I've learned as I got older that I can actually tap into it very easily. Nice. Like it, it can be triggered very easily. I just need the right kind of circumstance and environment and, and for me to focus on something, you yeah. know. And the, the other thing I learned that's interesting about creativity, and I think it works – or something outside of creativity, I didn't quite understand how the brain works, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and sometimes I'd beat myself up for not figuring out a problem, mm-hmm. like a, a creative problem. And I'm like, why the fuck? I just can't, uh, you know, I just can't figure that shot out or that line of dialogue or whatever the fuck it is or that piece of editing. And what I found later was, even though you think you ha- you're not figuring it out or you're not spending time figuring it out, it's gone to the back of your brain. Mm. And your brain is processing it even while it's not in the forefront of your brain. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed this too, the fix comes to you like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes to you like that because your brain has been processing in the, in the background. And once I found that out, I'm like, oh my God, now I know I go, I just tag a problem. I just tell my brain, I have a problem with this. Don't be impatient and it'll come to me. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, within a day or two, something the same day, sometimes a week later, It'll just jump into, you know, your conscious, not your subconscious. Yeah. And, and I go, ooh, that's a wonderful little thing there. Yeah. That, that's the, a, brain, that the brain does. That's a little gift. Yeah. Yeah. Man, what a great conversation this is. I think it's stuff that it's encouraging for people to hear about the process and understand that we all can go in and out of it and hear how, what your experience was. We talked a little bit about some of mine. Cause I mean, for me, sometimes when the, when I come out of it, I, I I'm exhausted, but then I always mm. go, will I ever get back into it again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> will it ever come back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Kristen is one like this where she, she will always wake up, not always frequently wake up with foreign words. She, and she'll mm. say something, and she'll have to go look it up. And it's a foreign language, and it's a real word. <laughs> oh and, my god! And it's like, what is like this speaking mean? in tongues? Yeah. And then, like one word, one word was, um, I, I believe I have the story right. It's it's scapetta, and that's Italian. That's Italian. 
And this was before we started studying Italian. It's probably one of the one of the things that led us into it. And we went to a restaurant. This was like a couple of years ago. We went to a restaurant, an Italian restaurant with some friends, and it was that word was on the menu. Wow. And well, that, that same me out, day, me out. it did freak us out. Well, freaked her out. I'm like, this is cool. <laughs> <You know? laughs> predict some more shit. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, you know, that little eight ball, you know. Um, it's fascinating. Our brains are amazing. And I continually still learn about process. And how I define it is, how am I in my day allowing the time to allow that creativity to flow, whether it's in music or if mm. it's in acting, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, or even in editing. In editing, mm -hmm. I find with editing, it just, and maybe it's because I've been doing it longer, the process mm -hmm. of getting in there seems quicker. It just, yeah. it's a whew, and I'm yeah. right, and I'm right there, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. And I, for me, I work, always burning the candle at both ends, you know, and, and, you know, we're getting older. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like, you know, it's like, I just got to take a break. I guess got to. What would know. they say? Work smarter, not harder. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm still learning that. <laughs> I've started to learn a little bit about it. Like the, the, there's the, the, the athletic analogy. There's Muhammad Ali, there's Michael Jordan, right? Oh boy. So yeah. both guys were known these kind of, virtuosos athletically, right? Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yeah. Later in his career was rope-a-dope. Sit against the rope, get pounded on, yep. save your energy, and just blast the other guy. Yeah. Jordan was the high-flying dunk guy, right? Yep. Later in his career, fadeaway jumper, the most efficient shot in the NBA, right? Yeah. I'm going to get the same points without exerting the same energy, right? Oh, and, and it could be applied, I think, to creative endeavors as well if you're able to kind of what you're talking about, harness it. Like yeah. you said, getting into editing quicker. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, you're talking about music editing. I'm talking about picture editing, which yeah. is essentially, you know, you're, yeah. you're using this kind of tools. And it, it did take longer back then. Now it's like, okay, I know what I got to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, uh, and, and moving it, don't, don't waste any time. Don't fuck about. Yeah. And I guess it comes with like the, what they say, the word is wisdom. Mm -hmm. as, as you get older, you learn more. And you learn the shortcuts of how to trim the fat mm -hmm. and how to be, because it feels to me like the human body is like a, like an iPhone, right? And this is <laughs> going to sound like a really, okay. really bad analogy until I get to the end. Okay. Okay. What you can do creatively is boundless. Okay. Yeah. That's always going to be there. The battery life in that phone though, as the years go on, even though you fully charge the phone, it's going to drop down to 70% a lot quicker than it did three years ago. Mm -hmm. Three years ago, it took five hours for it to drop down to 70%. Yeah. Now it takes two or one hour. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you, you might need to recharge a lot longer to get to that 100%, right? So the battery. That's that's really good analogy. It's like the yeah. your life's kind of force is your battery, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. Never going to be what it was when you were 20. Yeah. But the creative, the creative side, is is boundless. Yes, you know, yeah. You can still, you can still dream like you did when you were twenty. You can still create like you did when you were twenty. It, it, it's just all those other things you brought up earlier that stop you from going there. This conversation it makes me want to just go and do some creative stuff. It, you know, like we're we're setting up because of COVID, you know, no one's going anywhere. So we're, we have that little back porch out there, which is, so we're setting that up. We, we bought a little fire, what do you call those? Uh, fire pits, mm -hmm. uh, propane thing. And we've got a couple of chairs and we're planning on sectioning it off a little bit, but the whole idea is during the winter, especially in the evenings is to be able to sit out there and just use that as a creative place. Mm. And mm -hmm. so, because Kristen's been writing a lot of poetry and and book ideas that she's been working on, some stories that she has, I have this stuff musically that I want to start exploring. Mm -hmm. And like we were talking about earlier, just experimenting with mm -hmm. what would this be like? What would that be like? And just to be able to sit down, shut the phone off, shut all the stuff yep. off, and just 
quiet your mind and allow what's gonna what's gonna start dropping. You know? See, you're in a better you're in a better place than I am. <laughs> you're Why? in a way better place than I am. Because for you to be thinking like that is like it it's something that I would I, I would aspire to to want to do. But I'm so oh you know like you know to get to that place where you're just like you're you're actually talking about relaxing your mind so that things can flow easier. Yeah flow easier in a yeah. way creative yeah. creatively, right? And that's one of my biggest kind of faults is not being able to properly relax because I just don't know how to do it. And I know that it's something I have to learn, mm. you know, and, um, and I also like beat myself up. Like I'll go months without doing something yeah. creative. Yeah. And I'm like, why, what, why okay, eight months? I haven't done anything. And then there'll be one month with a flurry of activity and then another three months with nothing. You know, and I'm trying to figure out, is it that fireplace on the, on the deck Yeah. or, you know, what is it that I need, you know, um, or that, or that apartment that you're saying, like getting a studio for yourself and you walk to that. Oh yeah. 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 That, that thing, which I don't know, that could be its own little monster. Yeah. Let me check my internet, my internet. You're almost talking about a creative recharge station in a way, you know, exactly. It's it's a place. Yes. Go. You know, to clear, to clear the noise out, the clutter out, and and I have this thing that I'm beating myself up about where I get into a, a loop in my head, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it could be a creative loop, it could be a life loop, and and it, it's there's no moment where it's like you know just shut off, yeah, and it could be as easy as what you just said, which is leave the phones and computers and yeah, let me pass this on to you, you know that idea about we haven't done anything for a couple of months, you know I think we all go through that. Mm-hmm. And Kristen told me about this concept, like we're all like a wave. And when we crest, we're all being creative, right? Mm -hmm. But before that, we're in the trough Mm -hmm. and we're not doing anything. And it's sucking up all the water and we're just doing intake, intake, intake. And sometimes that trough can last a long time while we're just sucking up all that water before we can come back and crest and we're being creative again. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when we're not being outputting creatively, we're just inputting. And I think that's just as important. Well, that's funny you say that because a friend of mine, Jeff Oaken, who I think you know, yeah, he would say to me things that make me calm down. I was like, what do you mean you're not working? You are working. Yeah, exactly. And I go, well, what does that mean? He's like, we're sitting here talking about something and you're, you're talking about the result of something. You know, being the actual work, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're working right now. Don't don't discount yourself. You're working right now. And I'm like, and he's talking in a creative sense. He's not talking, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, kind of manual manual labor kind of sense. And God, that that analogy you just gave makes sense, though. You need to swell in order for the crest to be there. Yeah, you know, or you need that kind that of trough of the thing. That it's trough, just, yeah. yeah, just and that's like very thin water, right? It's like you yeah. can't swim in it. And it's just pulling back. It's that like, you know, thing that pulls back and then it just comes flying back over. And so sometimes it takes a long time for it to fill up, to come out. So it's just something to kind of give you a little at ease when we're in those places. (laughs) Well, I I have the same kind of thing you have. It's like we we both have to walk by equipment every day. It's right here, man. Okay, and, and it's not cheap equipment. No. Okay, <laughs> so, so you're walking by equipment every day. You're like, ah, oh, shit. There's dust collecting on that. I that right know. There. I know. There are times like I didn't even turn it on. Yep. <laughs> I was like, oh, my bad. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. I got I got like lenses in my kitchen that are all stacked up like these cinema lenses, right? Uh-huh. And they're they've collected collected a layer of dirt. I go, maybe I should wipe those things down so I don't feel so bad about that, yeah. right? Or my big computer, I got this new, I think I told you about yeah. it. Yeah, um, the Mac this, Pro. This, yeah, the, the cheese grater thing, right? Yeah. And um, and I, I sleep it like a normal computer. But last night I heard, you know, the sleep, there's a worry even when it's sleeping. Yeah. I'm like, man, I haven't touched that shit in like 10 days, man. Maybe I should shut, <laughs> just maybe shut, I should it shut that down. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. I know I'm not going to be doing that, nothing in the next uh-huh. five days. I got to shut this shit down. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hear you. But it's, a, it's almost like a... a a metaphor for for me, it's like if you if you shut that down, that means you're shutting yourself down. Yeah. Well, maybe it just means you're in the trough right now. 
That's all. Yeah. But yeah, I, I hear you. It like that now. It's a way of, of our, our way we can keep our brain open again. And because anytime we're judging ourselves, it, I feel like we're just shutting off the flow. Yeah, but you're right. You're absolutely right about that. But don't you feel like sometimes the way we judge ourselves is also by like, you might hear a great piece of music and that fucks you up, right? Oh, totally. Or I might be watching The Conformist last night, right? And that totally fucks me up in a, a very creative, competitive way. Not competitive, like I'm going to mm-hmm. beat that filmmaker or that musician, right? But more like, God, look what the fuck they did. I, what am I doing? What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely all what, the fucking what time. Am I, <laughs> what am I doing? They, they shot that movie when there wasn't even any video assist. Yeah. How the hell they do that? No, I hear you, man. I, I, I try not to judge that too much the um what was that movie uh ford versus ferrari oh yeah and um um the actress christian bale christian bale knocked me out as an actor in that film he's great and i said to myself how will i ever be that kind of an actor and i just i almost quit after watch i almost and i said to Kristen, i think i'm gonna stop and she just like... But you hear that story from a lot of great actors that say that they saw Laurence Olivier do yeah. something on stage, and they're like, why am I even trying, yeah. right? Yeah. You hear it in every profession, you know? I was actually telling my nephew this, who you know, my nephew, Eric. Yeah. Um, he had asked about a short I made and where I got the sounds from, and because uh, he has all my shit. Uh-huh. He has some dream one day to do something with it. I don't know if I, Oh, oh, and I said, actually, Eric, I didn't make those sounds. I saw this discovery short that made me question whether or not I wanted to continue. Oh, it was this really experimental kind of dreamlike, you know, three and a half minutes short that blew me away. Mm-hmm. And I said, it made me question why I'm even in the business, mm-hmm. right? And nobody's seen this fucking thing. It's like some interlude in, you know, Discovery Europe, right? And I said, to, to answer your question about the sound, I just took the sound from that short and i put it in reverse and then i put images to it that was influenced by that short no that's awesome to to show that i could compete some i can play that level to tell myself yeah i I deserve to be in the business yeah i can play in the playground yeah and so i I sent him the short and he's like oh yeah i see what you did Oh man, I was hoping that you had all those sound elements separate, you know. But you, yeah, you just put it in reverse. I go, yeah, and you you see you see uh, as I always say to you, there's a fine line between thievery and inspiration. <laughs> I said, true. I, I fucking stole my, I stole that shit. He goes, no, you somehow made it yours. Yeah, and that's that true. made me feel better. Yeah, but but again, that was one of those things where you know what you're talking about. It's like you know. Like Jimmy Ivey has that thing that 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 yeah. headwind can be the thing that spurs you on. Yes. Don't don't let the let the headwind be the tailwind. Yes. That's, you know, that was a brilliant it, statement he made. Yeah. If it scares you, or if that person or that piece of art scares you, and then that should be inspiring to you. Mm-hmm. You know, and it always is. I gotta say, when you see somebody do something great, mm-hmm. it, it always is inspiring. Um, but not to let that, you know, when we were younger, it would always, like mother would always say to us, like, why are you, why are you comparing yourself to, to a Scorsese? You're 20 years old. Yeah. That man's 47, whatever he was at the time, right? When he did Goodfellas, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's had a, a full life to develop that where he is. Stop comparing yourself to him. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she made us calm down. <laughs> Comparison is the thief of joy. Ooh. Ooh, it took me a while to get that. <laughs> yeah. Whenever we compare, it steals our joy and our excitement to be creative. And it hap- I do it all the time. I, I hear a piece, like I just said, I, you know, watch that show, that movie, and I'm like, it, told, it just took... It, it took almost every last breath of me. I had a little bit left. And that's, what, <laughs> and that's what kept me alive to go, all right, we'll continue. And I, that headwind became my tailwind. But the, 
I mean, to continue with that, sorry, if you have to go, I just want to no. say this one last thing. It's like, we're good. There, the comparing can be a competitiveness too. Sure. Absolutely. Right. And competitive can work. Yep. As long as you're not hating what you're comparing yourself yep. to. I agree. Or hating on, right? Like, for example, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to, you know, it's being recorded. Um, there's a handful of directors that are great directors, right? And this is where my kind of uh, internal id, ego, and super ego cross intersects, right? Yeah. As I go, yeah, if I was to look at this as a competitive race and we were all on the starting gate, could I compete with these four or five guys that I actually respect? And I go, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I got a good chance to win that race. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one guy out there who I won't mention. There's one guy out there. If I saw his neck sticking out in that starting gate, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, I don't know if I can win this race, right?" Maybe. But the four or five, you'd be surprised because you'd be like, "Oh, that, you know, that's yeah, you know, uh, the the fact that I got to a point where I felt like I could compete with those four or five, okay, you know, you can take it as hubris or whatever, right? But I got there, right? Yeah. But that fifth guy that stuck his neck out uh-huh. still keeps me wake, waking up scared in a, in a in a healthy way. Yes, because because when I look at his work, and there's a there's a female director too, mm-hmm. who I won't mention her name either. Um, that scares me in a different way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I go wow, because I was talking to my ne- nephew about being competitive, mm-hmm. you know, and I said don't mistake the word competitive for meaning you're competing with them in a literal sense. Yeah. Because you're talking about you're trying you're trying to use a Jordan analogy with me about like he took someone that was hating on him and used it as fuel. Mm-hmm. And you keep bringing up this one guy that said something to you, right? And you're using that as fuel. I go, that's bad energy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're moving forward in the in, the, in my in my opinion, you're moving yeah. forward in the wrong in the wrong way. Now, if there's someone that you respect. They were like, I like his work. This shit is dope. Like, right. You use a competitive spirit yeah. of I want to get there or I want to surpass that, basically, right? It's, it's inspiration. It doesn't, mean doesn't mean that you're hating on that person. Though. Right. No. You're inspired by them. That's exactly the, the right word. Yeah. You're inspired. Competitive inspiration. There you go. Yeah. That's, oh, I like that. Competitive yeah. inspiration. Yeah. Yeah, Albert, this has been amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time. We've been talking for almost two hours. Oh, it's well, I have to say one last thing. Thank you. Oh, thank you for inviting me up because I heard the one with Cindy Malo and I really respect her. Uh And and, um, she's a great woman and she's a great editor. And for the first time, I heard someone say to me, it was a studio head said to me a couple of years ago on our project, our last project together, uh-huh. we need a picture editor. And mm-hmm. I've heard that before. I'd heard Joe Silver use it. I heard other executives. And I never knew what it meant. Mm-hmm. Right. But then I thought of Cindy Marvel mm. and I go, she's a picture editor. Yeah. That's what a picture editor is. Yeah. What she does. Yeah. That, and that was a great right. show by the way. So. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for coming and thank you for, uh, for what you just said uh, about being on the show. And um, so I have, before we wrap, I have one question for you. Would you rather? The tree, I'd be an oak. <laughs> no, but you know how we were playing, would we rather? Yeah. Uh, would you rather, would you rather be on a plane with Trump or mm. do another movie with Romanoff? <laughs> I'm taking the plane with Trump. I thought you'd say that. <laughs> Am I sitting next to Trump? It's up to you. You want to sit next to him? Make it. Make the Trump. If you're if you're going to play that game, make the Trump section as hard as possible, and then re-ask the question. Now, make okay. Would you rather sit in a plane next to Trump, where it's a private plane, and the two of <laughs> it's only the two of you on the plane? For three hours, or would you do another movie? Would you rather do another movie with Robinoff? All right, let me rephrase the question now. Yeah, you can probably make it a whole lot better than me. <laughs> would I rather be on a private jet with Trump sitting next to me for three hours and he's buck naked? Okay, there we Ru- go. <laughs> with, with Russian hookers peeing on him, and the pilot had a heart attack. Mid-flight, the pilot had a heart attack. Or would I rather make a movie with Jeff Robinoff? I'm still picking the Trump flight. I thought she was. 
And I hope you keep this on the show. Okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great way to end it. Oh, man. Albert, this was great, man. Always wonderful spending time with you, dude. It's awesome. <laughs> you too, man. And I hope to see you soon in person at yeah, Versailles. Yeah. Oh, Venice. man, that'd be wonderful. All right, dude. Thank you so much. Right. We'll see you. All right, Jeff. <laughs> Didn't I say this was going to be something special? What a great time we had together. I love that we got into this esoteric conversation about flow, the creative mindset. And sometimes, you know, you kind of feel like you're on the brink uh, of losing your mind. It takes a lot of courage to let yourself go. I know for me, sometimes I fear that I'm not going to be able to come back. But you do. I also liked when Albert talked about calling yourself an artist. What was he saying? Calling yourself an artist can stagnate you because you think the label means something special. I mean, maybe he didn't say it exactly like that, but you get my drift. And I love that humility, that groundedness. Okay, next week, I cannot wait to share with you my conversation with the multi-talented Kristen Baum, film composer, poet, and author. That's next week on Pivot Point. All right. Stay safe. And remember, if he's doing it, why not you? <laughs>